A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. We are still in the temple in Jerusalem, and for the third time the religious leaders are testing Jesus. By the end of the week, Jesus will be crucified. As I mentioned last week, Jesus only directly answers three of the 183 questions that he's asked in the four Gospels. Today's Gospel is one of the three questions that Jesus answers directly. Matthew sets up this passage right at the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. What follows are six antitheses explaining his fulfillment of the law, ending with, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The law is fulfilled in the perfection of God's love that reaches out even to enemies. In the commandments that God set before the Israelites, we see God's compassion extending beyond the boundaries we construct to limit our obligation and love. You shall not molest or oppress an alien. If ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Jesus answers the question about which commandment is the greatest by giving not one, but rather two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke's gospel on this same question, it's the lawyer who gives the answer, not Jesus. And Jesus replied, You've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He does not want to waste love on anyone who doesn't count as neighbor. Jesus tells of a man beaten on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and left for dead in the ditch. A priest and a Levite saw him and passed by on the other side. Don't the commandments apply to the religious leaders? But the one who apparently didn't follow the law, the hated Samaritan, saw him and was moved to pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And Jesus said, Who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. In Mark's gospel, 
in chapter 12, the question is asked not as a test, but by a seeker who truly wants to understand. Jesus answers the question in the same way he does in Matthew's Gospel. The scribe recognizes that Jesus has not dodged the question. At first hearing, it may seem that Jesus gives two answers to the question, but the second answer is identical to the first. The scribe is saying, in effect, Well done, Rabbi. You did not give two answers. You said one thing, but in two ways. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then Mark adds, After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. There are no more questions to ask, because all that remains is to go and do. After this, in chapter 14, the passion begins. Jesus shows us what God's love looks like. In Matthew's Gospel, when the Pharisees ask their last tricky question, Jesus does indeed out-trick them. But he doesn't do it by giving the right answer. He out-tricks them by actually being the right answer. We see this clearly in Matthew 25, just before the Passion begins. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Lord, they replied, when did we see you? And he said to them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. John's Gospel has no story that corresponds to the tale about a scribe raising the question of the great commandments to Jesus. Rather, in John's Gospel, at the start of the Last Supper, after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, we hear that he told his disciples, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. If the new commandment is that we love one another, what has happened to the commandment to love God? John's Gospel teaches us that God is not the object of our love, but rather the very source and ground of our ability to love one another. When we love one another, we make God present. Richard Rohr says that authentic love is of one piece. How we love anything is how we love everything. You might think that to love our neighbor as ourself means to love our neighbor with the same amount of love, as much as we love ourselves, when it really means that it is the same source and the same love that allows me to love myself and others and God at the same time. We cannot possibly love God without loving one another, because it is only in loving one another that we find out what the word God means. As Walter Brueggemann says, you don't get God without the neighbors. 
And that's the deepest reason for the existence of the church. We cannot possibly claim to love God and be out of communion with one another.